So uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Daniel Schneller. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. So just to recap a little bit, we see that Moses is living among kings, right? He's like having everything handed to him on a silver platter, but he gives that up. He gives all of it up for the sake of his people. You know, he kills a guard to save a slave, so he did the right thing the wrong way. <clears throat> so, we la- so we ran away to live in the land of Midian, and that's kind of where we're picking up in uh, chapter 3. All right, so in verse 1 we see, <clears throat> Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near me. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So basically, God is just telling Moses his plan to just kind of free all of his people from Egypt, right? So he's going to like deliver them to the land flowing with milk and honey. And now in verse 18, let's skip down just a little bit. And they will pay heed to what you say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And we're actually just going to skip just a little bit more. Just wanted a little bit of context for where I'm going to be starting today. Uh, That is verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And that's kind of where we're going to be starting tonight. uh, Verse 1 of chapter 4. And specifically that phrase, What if they? So how many of you get stuck on the what if? How many of you do something you're not supposed to because of what if? But Moses, he takes it a step further. He doesn't just go with what if, he goes with what if they. What if they laugh at me? What if they doubt me? What if they ignore me? They don't listen. So right off the bat, we see Moses begin to doubt. He's immediately doubting. He's already looking at the after effects of his obedience. But in verse 2, God says, and the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God's saying, I'm going to handle it. So if you're taking notes, it's going to be my first point for tonight. God is going to handle it. So he, see, he already had everything planned out before Moses was even in the picture. And he gave Moses everything that he needed, and he'll take care of the rest. And it's all for the glory of God. I mean, he didn't give Moses the staff because he needed it for walking. He gave Moses the staff as an instrument to prove that it was really God that came to them. So Moses doesn't have to worry. God will handle it. But before you get too excited, God has his own way of handling things. You might say that he needs to feed 5,000 people, but he'll ask for a little boy's lunch. 
you'll see the wall of Jericho and you say you got to knock it down and he won't give you a wrecking ball, he'll give you a trumpet. He'll, you'll say, give us the Messiah and you think that Thor's about to come down with like thunder and lightning, but instead he sends a baby born of a virgin lying in a manger. So he always handles things in his own way and we can't always see it. I mean, you might be in a place right now where God is handling your problem, but you don't even know it because he's handling it in a manger. And he proves this all the time. He proves it on the cross. He doesn't defeat death with a tank or a sword. He defeats death with the cross because he's got a strange way of handling it. So he's trying to tell Moses this, but Moses is still stuck, right? <clears throat> he's doubting. He's saying, who am I that you would choose me? And we see that in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He's scared. He doesn't see his potential. He thinks, why would God ever choose a broken man like me? But just like how God handles things differently, God chooses people differently. And that's my second point. God chooses people differently. So we see it all over the Bible, how God will use the most broken of people. I mean, sometimes his picks don't even make any sense, but he always, he always has a greater plan. So I wanted to read you guys something. Uh, it's an article that I found, and it reads, if Jesus hired a management consultant firm. <laughs> Basically, it's how regular people would have evaluated Jesus' disciples. So I'm just going to read a little bit of that to you guys. <clears throat> it is in the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. We recommend that you continue your search for people of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has no quality of leadership whatsoever. The two brothers, James and John, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel the need to inform you that Matthew has been blackmailed by the Jerusalem Better Business Bureau James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and contacts in high places. He is motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other candidates are self-explanatory. All that to ask, aren't you glad that God doesn't pick people like people pick people? I want to go back to that phrase in the article. We recommend that you continue your search for people of experience. God isn't going to pick someone with experience. God isn't going to pick someone with the perfect expertise for the job that he's trying to do. He's going to pick someone like Moses with the potential, but not a full picture. So God always sees the potential in the broken people. So you can see that God wants Moses to see the potential, but he, like a lot of people, maybe some people in this room, he's so quick to see what's missing that he misses what's possible. And it's possible that you have become so familiar with your weakness that you no longer see what's possible. In other words, you see what you choose to see. In many ways, you see what you want to see. So it was just a few weeks ago, actually, uh, God calls out as loud as possible, it's time. It's time to use that gift of teaching that I put in your heart over 10 years ago. And I could see that there were people in my life that were there for a purpose. I could see that there were so many signs pointing to this, but I was doubting. I was trying to run from it. I can only see what was missing. 
I have horrible social anxiety. I'm not very articulate. I can't talk to people. I've never done anything like it before. What would I even talk about? That's all I could see. I mean, that's all most could see. He was so focused on his faults that he missed what God was saying. And God was getting mad about it too. You see that in verse 14. It says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you when he sees you. He will be glad in his heart. <clears throat> so basically, God's like, <clears throat> Aaron, right? Yeah, go, take him. But he wasn't ready. But that's the point. You've got to get ready on the way. That's going to be my third point. You've got to get ready on the way. Because if you wait to leave until you're completely ready, you're never going to leave. And it's not, it's not realized immediately. Like, your potential isn't realized immediately. You're not just going to wake up one morning. Oh, well, now I've got what it takes. I feel like I've, I've crossed over the readiness line a little bit. <laughs> if, I mean, if you have had that day, I'm, I have not had that day. I'm looking forward to that day, but as of today, I've never felt ready. Amen. So that's why you've got to get ready on the way. You've got to get ready while you're in it. And we see that, again, with Moses in the scripture. If we look in verse 18, Then Moses reparted, departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hands. Sorry, this is like a really low table. I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to find my place. I can't see where I'm at. <laughs> so by verse 20, we see that Moses is just thrust into action almost immediately. Now, he knew the general concept of what he was going to be doing, right? He thought he was just going to walk in. Hey, just let my people go. And then that was it. He was just going to leave. But beyond that, he was completely in the dark. He didn't know what was in store. He just had to prepare and get ready on the way. So God gives him everything as he goes. He gives him the staff, he gives him Aaron, the voice and the courage and the strength. And then Moses begins to see the picture. And you see that when Moses actually follows, he never doubts God again. He never questions God's motives again. And we'll continue to see that in weeks to come as we keep going through Exodus. <clears throat> so you have to come to a place in your life where you're convinced that God is working all things together for the glory of him for the glory of those who are called according to his plan. So as I'm trying to close this out, let me ask you, which one are you? God has a calling for every single person in this room. So are you going to doubt it? Are you going to run from it? Or are you going to say, let's do it. Send me. I don't know what you have in store, but I trust you to handle it and to see what I don't see and to make me ready as I go. Now you might be like Moses or like me. You might be scared to do it. You might be only looking at the negatives. You might be only be looking at what's missing. But what would it look like to follow God's call for you, to walk in obedience with what he's calling you to do? So you can't let fear and doubts stop you from doing what God has planned for you. For those of y'all that don't know me, my name is Blake Beveridge. And so we're going to be continuing off of what Daniel was talking about, about Moses. And so... If any of y'all have talked to Rick Jones, his biggest thing is context, context, context. Context is king. And so that's what we're going to do really quick is when we look at the life of Moses, we see he's like one of the greatest leaders of Israel. He led him out of Egypt. 
He led them all through the wilderness, and he was, Numbers even says that he was the most humblest man on the face of the earth. And Moses' faith is even mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses was an insanely righteous man. He was an insanely humbled man, but he was also an insanely broken man. He was a man that was just like us, who was reluctant, who was stubborn, who had multiple incidences of partial obedience. But that's what we're going to be looking at is the life of him. So starting at the beginning, Moses is born into Egypt. Egypt is a horrible place to really be living in for an Israelite. There have been slaves there for hundreds of years. They're growing up. And Moses grows up, he grows up the Pharaoh's daughter. While he's there, he's kind of having two voices talk to him. He's got his mom, and he's got uh, Pharaoh's daughter talking to him. And so there comes a point where Moses stands up for the Israelites, and he sees an Egyptian. He's um, he's, uh, beating one of the Israelites, and Moses steps in, and he kills him. Not really the best way to go about it, but he did. But we can see there that Moses' passion to, uh, to free Israel, to free the Israelites was there from the very start, that he was passionate enough to do that, that he wanted to do it, but he wanted to do it his way. And so we'll dive into that in a second. But Moses grows up, or Moses leaves Egypt. He goes and tends sheep on Mount Sinai for 40 years. For 40 years, he's on that mountain, and then comes the day. He's tending sheep, and the bush lights on fire. We see the story of the burning bush. And while there, God's talking to him, and he's telling him, Moses, I've heard the cries of Israel. I've heard um, the misery that y'all are in. And guess what? I'm gonna take you out of that. I'm gonna bring you to the land flowing of milk and honey. I'm gonna take you all that. I'm gonna get you away from it all. And guess what, Moses? I'm gonna use you for it. And Moses just kind of balks a little. He's like, "Mm, not me, God, not me. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at is Moses's objections that he made when he was talking to God and how we make the same ones. And so the first objection Moses made was, who am I? Uh, Verse 11 says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' first objection was directed towards himself. He he was thinking of what others would think of him. He was thinking of what, um, that he was a nobody, that he wasn't somebody that could go and do this. He was thinking that there was someone better. And we kind of do the same thing in our, in our own lives. We see people that are really chasing after God or we see people that are just, maybe they look better, they talk better. And we're like, we can't, we don't really have, we think that we don't really have anything to offer. But that's not really the case. Uh, Hebrews eleven twelve. God answers Moses' Moses's objection. And he said, he said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God on the mountain. My second point is, who am I? God answers, I will be with you. I will be with you. How simple of a statement that is, but how powerful that is when it's truly lived out, that God will be with you. When God is, 
God is telling Moses that you might think that you're a nobody. You might think that you might not have some big reputation, that you might not think you're anything, but I will be with you and that's all that matters. How much, how much do, do we do the same thing of where we think we can't do it? God, we don't have enough followers on Instagram. We don't have enough likes on our tweets. We can't do it. Go send someone else. But none of that matters because God makes the same promise to us that he will be with us. But Moses, even though he's told God will be with him, he still objects. And so Exodus 3.13 says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, that is I who have sent you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Moses' second objection was, who are you? And it's a good, it's, it's an okay question because we want to know about God. We want to know him, but it's not a reason for us not to go. We might not know everything. We might not think we know enough to lead a D group or go and share the gospel, but that doesn't mean we stop. And so what's cool here is you look at Exodus 6, 3, and it says, I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by the name Lord. When God had appeared to Moses or to Abraham and Isaac and all the ones before, in the Hebrew, it says he was, uh, appeared himself as El Shaddai. El Shaddai translates to all-powerful. When God had revealed himself to them, he was only showing a part of his character. So Moses trying to get out by saying, I don't know the full you, but God answers that in such a cool way. Exodus 3.14 said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I think later in Exodus 6, it kind of really emphasizes this. It says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, I am the Lord. God answers his objection by showing that he is Yahweh. I know Noah, wherever Noah is, he knows what general and special revelation is. But general revelation is God works through nature when he works through um, natural ways. But special revelation is when God works through miracles and wonders and visions. So what God is doing here, and it's so cool looking at the Hebrew with this, is God had revealed himself to the older generations as El Shaddai. But with Moses, he revealed himself as Yahweh, as I am who I am. He reveals himself as a personal God. He reveals himself as someone that will be with them, that will lead them out of Egypt, that is gonna guide them out of, that, out of their misery. And that's what they needed. They needed someone to guide them. They needed someone to lead them. God is showing them that not just am I going to deliver you out of Egypt, God is saying, I am going to be with you. I will guide you. And it's so cool looking later in scripture where Jesus echoes the same thing. John 8, 5, uh, 58 says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. That same promise that was made to Moses is the same one that we have. That our God is a personal God who will be with us, who will guide us and who will lead us. Through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus on the cross, that same God is gonna be with us and lead us through our Egypt. But Moses still objects, just like we do. He was making excuses. 
Later in that verse, it says, or later in the Exodus 3, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? So his next objection was, they won't believe me. How many times do we raise the same objection when we feel called to go and share the gospel? When we're at a Bellevue Loves Memphis event, when we're walking through Kroger and we feel the calling on the Lord to go and share, but then we don't. We say, I can't speak well. I don't know enough. I have bad social anxiety. We say all these things, but that's not what God says. And it's not what we're supposed to do. And God answers it for, for Moses. He said, the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. God answered that for Moses by allowing him to be able to perform miracles and signs and wonders. The Lord did the same thing for us when he sent Jesus down on the cross. When Jesus was that miracle for us, Jesus was the one that we're supposed to show to the non-believers. He's that miracle that we're supposed to show to others. Mo Those miracles that God performed through Moses were just as much to convince Moses, just as much as they were to convince others. In the same way that we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're supposed to take that same message to others. We're not supposed to keep it ourselves. We're supposed to go and share it with others. He shows them that he would save, but Moses still isn't convinced. And so later in verse 10, he says, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been elegant, eloquent either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongues are sluggish. What is Moses doing? He is told that he's revealed that God is a personal God. He has shown miracles and wonders and signs. He has shown that he is a personal God and that God would be with him. I can imagine their conversation would go something like this. God, Moses is looking up to God and he says, God, I, I have a stutter. And then God looks down on him and he says, did I stutter? <laughs> Verse 11 Verse 11 says, Lord, the Lord said to him, who placed the mouth on the humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. God said, I will give you the words. Moses was looking at himself instead of looking at God. God was the one that put the mouth on him. God was the one that put the mouth on us. But, God, but Moses was still scared to do it. Sometimes we get so scared of speaking about our beliefs about Jesus that we forget that we need to take it all to God for him to answer. The God who made us is able to use us for our gifts and our abilities to accomplish the task that he assigns for us. Those callings that we have to go and share, those callings that God has placed on our heart to reach that certain people group, we have to go and do that. There's no one else that will do it. We need to be the ones to do it. And then Moses is still stubborn. He finally just kind of comes out to the Lord and he says, please, Lord, send someone else. Moses is just told that God would be with him, that he's Yahweh, that he's a personal God, 
that he would perform miracles and signs through Moses, that he would teach him how to speak fluently. And yet he's still saying, I don't wanna do it. Send someone else. That I am the not, not the right one. Don't we do the same thing in our hearts and our minds? Don't we, when we go out to share, we think, let someone else do it? I know I've done it. I know I've gone with Hunter Reich out to Miracle Redemption. And I've gone out there and I've let him kind of take the lead instead of going and share. How many times do we do the same thing? And so God finally answers and he says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on the way to meet you now. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help you both, both you and him to speak and teach you both what to do. And so God sends Aaron, his brother, to go and help him. And Aaron did a lot of good things, but Aaron was also had a lot of social anxiety. Aaron also felt a lot of peer pressure. Aaron was the one that built the golden calf and offered it as a sacrifice. Even though they had just been out of Egypt, they had just seen God move, he was still the one that did it. How many times do we make the same thing of thinking someone else is better at it than what we would do? We take what God has put on us and we try to give it to someone else. That's not what we're supposed to do. That is not what we're supposed to do. So Moses did go on to be a great leader for Israel. He was the humblest man, he was one of the humblest men on earth, probably the humblest. But he was still stubborn. He still argued with God. We, we are just like Moses in the same way. We come up with excuses. We don't wanna follow after him. We try to pass it to someone else. We think that our knowledge isn't good enough so we can't go and share. But through it all, God is patient with Moses. And that's the, the work that he started in Moses is the same work that will come to fruition. When Moses is going forward and goes before and the Israelites are finally free and Moses is leading them through the wilderness, the one who, the, who is the hero in the story isn't Moses. The one who is the hero is God. That's the only hero through it all, that he will work through you. And that's the same thing we have on ourselves. It's not us who gets all the glory for it all. It's not us that we gotta save this person or I gotta lead this one to Christ or I gotta disciple him. It's God. It's God through it all. He is the one that is working through us. He is the one that came down to save us and he is the one that offered it to us. And so me and Daniel both really talked about, it was a lot more of a challenge for the believer. And so that's what I really want y'all to lean in here. How many times do we do the same objections before God? We offer the same excuses, like nothing much has changed. Like there's not a crazy amount that changed in the excuses from what we make to what Moses makes but God answers them all. So that's my challenge for tonight, is we need to quit making excuses and be obedient. Yep. We're the ones who are reluctant. We're the ones who follow impartial obedience. We are the ones who don't follow after God when we should and don't listen to him as we should. Why? We can see that God will work through it. We saw it with Moses, but we don't do the same thing. And so as Olivia's about to come up here and kind of wrap it up, 
My challenge for us tonight is to stop falling for the objections and start following after Christ with it and give it to him. That's what matters. And so as the, when the band comes up and when Olivia finishes, if you feel called to lay it at the altar, you need to go to back, talk to a leader about it, go and do that. But don't let what you're feeling right now, what the Holy Spirit is telling you, end with tonight. That the objection, don't start making objections to what he's telling you to do right now. But he's laid on your heart, don't make the objection and said, follow after him.